Musician Mindset is brought to you by PossibleChops.com, a library of expert-level drumming vocabulary lessons. To receive your first month of pro membership for free, visit PossibleChops.com slash MusicianMindset. Hey, Jason. Yes, Dave, here. What are the hardest three years of a bass player's life? <laughs> I don't know. Second grade. <laughs> <laughs> Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. All right, I had to tell a bass player joke today in honor of our special guest. We have with us today Josh Moreau. So in 1999, Josh was asked by Paul Schaefer, the band leader of Letterman and SNL, to join the Nickelodeon house band, which was his first professional gig at age 24, right? 17. Oh, 17. I'm mixing up bio here. <laughs> I'm kind of like copying and pasting in my mind as I good. go. Um, and shortly after that, Sheila E. hired you to perform with Nelly Furtado. Uh, and then you went on to play with Tony Royster Jr., Kurt Pescara, a whole bunch of great people, and now currently uh, dividing your time between touring with Katy Perry and Miley Cyrus, right? And doing one-offs with Casey Perry. Yes, and jo Josh and I also do a gig together here in town with yes, an up-and-coming singer-songwriter, Casey Bear. Right. All right, well, welcome to the show. Appreciate you taking the time to be here, hanging out. Thanks for having me. So let's start uh, back from the beginning. I mean, pretty awesome career stats right from... Uh, being young, but when did you when did you start? When was the first time you were on stage? Well, I don't know if it would be considered a stage, but my first job, when I was about uh, twelve years old. I played for a mariachi band, and so my first stage was uh, was playing at a restaurant called El Taco Loco in Camarillo. <laughs> Friday nights we had a residency. Nice. Um, did you play salsa music? No. I wish. I'm not very good. I should be. I'm Puerto Rican, so I, I, I grew up listening to salsa, but I've never really played much of it, to be honest. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, the Nickelodeon thing with Paul Schaefer was definitely like the first real, like, you know, commercially, you know, professional gig that I'd done. Before that, it was just, you know, junior high, you know, playing with kids that weren't even my friends, but just happened to have an instrument and, you know, jamming on the weekends. And then in high school, starting my own bands with friends of mine that were cool and might not have even played instruments very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of... And you guys play house parties and stuff like that? Yeah, little, you know, shows. Um, around that time, I, I was mostly in the like Ventura County music scene. And at the time it was like punk and hardcore and like crust and stuff like that. And uh, there was a, a laser tag place called Laser Star. And I don't know, one of our buddies ended up like meeting some promoter that was, wanted to put shows on there. And we we're, I think the, actually the first, my band was actually the first band to play and it was a goth band. So we're this like goth band in the midst of all this like hardcore stuff, but it was really cool because you would you know pay whatever the like uh, you know door cost was to get into the show, but you'd also get a free game of laser tag. Sweet, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. 
I feel like we could use that now to get people to come to our yeah, games. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great Free deal. Game All tag. gigs should have a laser <laughs> tag. Laser like tag included. Parts. Yeah. These are the was, gigs of the future right there. It was so fun. Well, the reason that we, we, we asked, you know, your first gigs and stuff like that, we asked that with all the guests, is to kind of mind map your experience as a performer. And in those early gigs that, that you were doing, were there any nerves or, or how has your evolution, well, what has been the evolution uh, for your, your stage preparation? I think when I was younger, I was uh, less busy with other things. And I was just excited to like play mm -hmm. with my band and share our music with people. But as I get older and my time is, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, torn and um, I find it's a little more of a challenge to like get into like practicing like I used to, you know, before I would just sit in my room and like play along with CDs all day long. And, uh, and, and I've actually found myself getting kind of more nervous as I get older. It's kind of strange. Really? Yeah. But, um, and also just more, um, critical of my own playing too. And being aware of like kind of the audiences that I'm playing for. And sometimes, you know, there'll be some pretty major audience members that are great musicians. And I'm like, Whoa, like this dude, Stevie Wonder's 10 feet in front of me. This is not cool, mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, So are, yeah. the, are the nerves that you're experiencing now a um, result of, direct result of the audience members that are there? Or like, what's it, what are you nervous about? It's that and just my own, I think, kind of pressure on myself. I'm pretty, like, critical and definitely a perfectionist. And I was actually listening to your guys' last podcast, which I think is so cool that you guys are doing this. And I was like... First listening to a sermon by John MacArthur, and I was like, oh, let me check this out. I listened to the whole thing. I like couldn't stop and like listening to you guys talk about, you know, playing, you know, in time and behind the beat and all that stuff. Um But uh yeah, I um, you know, one thing about me is I I like I'll listen to if I have the like option of getting a, a a copy of a show, you know, um, audio file. I want to listen to it immediately. And I'm kind of notorious for on tour when everyone gets on the bus and is hanging out, watching a movie, I go straight to my bunk and listen to the whole two hour show and pick apart my bass playing, you know, and listen to everyone else and what they're doing and try to figure out where we can play together better. Who's playing, you know, too far in front or who's laying back too much, you know, all that stuff. So, there's that stuff too, just getting more aware of my goals and understand, like just being deeper as a musician and realizing, you know, um, what different things like, um, I have, you know, I'm challenging myself with. So there's a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I, I want to stay on this topic for, for a second, if we could, yeah. uh, one of our previous guests, Ryan Brown plays with Dweezil Zappa talked oh, wow. about when they get on when they get off stage, they do the same thing. Wow, they, they listen cool. to listen to the entire show. Everyone makes fun of me and thinks I'm such a dork. And um, well, I, he has the whole band. They do it as a band. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I wish. So uh, no one yeah. else wants to do it but me. <laughs> <laughs> so what, do you do you have like a method that you're you're going through when you're listening to like like what what are you listening for? Like how are you breaking it down? Are there priorities? Like kind of just talk us through like what it is that you're trying to do there. Everything. I mean. 
groove, feel, uh, consistency, and then tone, you know, like, uh, for instance, with Katy Perry, um, there's no, uh, amps or anything on stage. And my rig is just, it was, it was an Avalon U5, um, into a laptop and I was just using main stage wow. and everything was just th- kind of thrown together last minute. And I'm not like some super techie dude. So I'm trying to program these sounds with this software and, you know, I don't, you know, I'm doing the best I can, but I'm always struggling with getting the sounds I want, you know, as opposed to my own equipment and, you know, my outboard stuff and whatever. Um, also not being able to use bases I want to use necessarily. Um, there's been a few instances where she wanted to do a whole tour with, you know, light up bases that were custom made. And so I totally have to like adjust everything to, to the equipment. Um, so always kind of just trying to, you know, correct little things with the tones and, um, and from song to song, part to part and, and, uh, a, a particular song, there's, everything's automated. So I have no, I don't step on anything. Everything switches automatically with the time code. And, um, and one song I can have a, you know, like an, an old B 15 sound and next song is I want a really direct kind of solid state kind of sound. So it's, it's pretty wild, the possibilities, but I'm still like dealing with stuff that I'm not super comfortable with, you know, as far as programming and stuff like that. So that's a challenge and just always being satisfied with, with, you know, the sounds, um, and then different, different musicians coming in, into the band. Um, like this last tour we did the witness tour with Katie. Um, I got to bring in an old buddy of mine, Tony Royster Jr. Uh, who's, you know, obviously a phenomenal drummer and played with Jay-Z for like 10 years. And we had played together in the Nickelodeon band when we were teenagers. And, um, you know, he's a beast. And then Chris Payton, the guitar player also comes from more of like a gospel side of things. And in the past, like Katie's bands have been more just kind of like rock band, garage band type of vibe. And Chris and Tony took the rhythm section to a whole different direction and level that I hadn't been living in for years. I've, I'd always like admired all that stuff and, and listened to it. But, um, you know, obviously because I, you know, I've been playing with Katie for years and, and kind of more like rock bands before that. It was just something I hadn't been really um, digging into a ton. And so it was a real challenge to like, it was super inspiring, but also really challenging to just really um, keep up with those guys as far as, you know, their groove and their feel and, and they were deadly, you know? So um, that was awesome and also totally humbling at the same what, what time did, what was the difference between their playing and, and what you were doing i mean you um, say like it was their gospel style musicians but yeah. was it chord voicings like can you talk us through what oh you everything i mean chris payton on guitar is just a monster with it, his feel consistency his voicings just everything he did it, it, and they're both so funky you know which i love but i haven't had to play like that in forever you know mm-hmm. and um uh, yeah, they live in that world and are, you know, masters, you know. Um, Would you say there's like a certain type of more aggressiveness in that approach? Everything, even just the fills that 
they'll play mm-hmm. the licks everything is is going to be different from like a rock drummer or a yeah. rock guitar player you know um the sound of tony's drums uh Chris's guitar tones, everything is like takes the music into a different kind of zone. And I really felt like I had to step it up in, in their direction, you know, to make the, the music cohesive. And, and that, um, that last record also had more of an urban and kind of uh, hip hop influence. And I think a lot of the producers came from that world and, um, and it, which was awesome and I loved it. It was the best tour I'd ever done. Um, but you know, I hadn't played five string in years and our MD, Chris Pooley, um, made some really great arrangements for the, for the band that really featured the bass and, you know, I had to pick up five string again and, you know, stuff like that, which I was really uncomfortable with cause I hadn't been doing that for a long time. Um, and just playing more licks and hits and, you know, Tony and Chris are just so right on with their timing, you know, I mean, they're really like athletes when it comes to that sort of thing. And, and they know how to phrase stuff and make stuff feel funky, you know? And so, um, that was a, that was a challenge for me to, to, to keep up and, and it was a blast, you know, so cool playing with those dudes. Are you using, I'm assuming most, if not all of the show has like pre-record happening backing tracks or the, I mean we there wasn't a ton on tracks to be honest I mean just you guys are doing a lot live now everything we could do live we yeah. did I mean Tony was had triggers and pedals for everything right. okay. and pads I mean which is typical but he has such an incredible facility our MD kind of put that dude to work mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um so yeah there I mean you know all the bass stuff was you know I was playing whether it was keyboard bass or electric bass or upright bass um all the guitars were live there was actually you know what there there were a few things like there's a few songs where like the guitar tone or whatever is so impossible to recreate with a a live guitar that they had to be in the track but it was mostly just production and effects and stuff on the tracks swells and you know but you're on click to everything because you said like your oh, yeah. sounds are automated and things like that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. everything's on click. Yeah. The only thing that wasn't on click was the acoustic set of the show. Mm-hmm. We would do like two or three songs, you know? Right. So before we get into uh, tour prep and show prep and stuff like that, I, I want to keep hitting at this uh, post-game analysis that you do after after the gigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- if you heard another musician either make an error or you thought maybe we could do this differently, did you feel comfortable enough bringing that up to them or did you kind of just stay in your lane and say, I hear that, but I'm just going to focus on my stuff? Um, well, Chris Pooley, the MD, I was actually a band leader on the tour, okay. um, but it wasn't really my responsibility to critique people too much, you know? Mm-hmm. And everyone in the band were such great musicians anyways. It was kind of like... Yeah, I mean, I can pick apart everyone, you know, <laughs> me, myself the most, you know, mm-hmm. but um, that that wasn't so much my job. And I, I wouldn't really um, have much to say for most of the players anyway, you know, and, and Chris would, Chris spent a lot of time with us, obviously, before the tour and, you know, pointed out things that we needed to work on and, and we just kind of did our best, you know, mm-hmm. so... Did you get any critiques in what you were just talking about? Did you get any critiques that you thought were uh, that really challenged you? 
that, that oh, he yeah. pointed out? Oh, tons, yeah. Would you mind sharing <laughs> a little, a little <laughs> bit? Not at all. I mean, I'm generally like, I, I'm definitely more on the anxious side of a you know personality, like, and so it's especially on stage, especially with playing with guys like Tony and Chris. You know, um, I, I tend to want to get on top of the beat, you know, and that's obviously a, a real common like, you know, thing, especially bass player thing. Um, and so there is, you know, that was that's always something that's in my mind is knowing what the, where the groove is and making sure my nerves don't, you know, push me. That is a huge topic. Yeah. So how, how do you do that? Oh man. I mean, just a lot of just listening and, and practicing. I mean, I'm always working on that on just relaxing and, mm -hmm. and, uh, just like, um, I mean, it could literally be like caffeine <laughs> intake, you know, yeah, or yeah, rest or, you know, I was, I know I was watching, um, uh, it was an interview with, um, Ethan Farmer and he was, he's a great bass player, R&B bass player. And he was talking about, um, how, you know, on stage to show like, you know, presence and enthusiasm, you want to move around and stuff, but just getting in that kind of mind frame can get your energy just pushing forward. And that's just unnatural. And he was just talking about even being on stage, like trying to figure out ways to show that without really hyping your body up so much and just keeping the playing in your fingers, breathing, just really focusing on staying relaxed. And, um, and over the years that has been something that I've worked on and it's, totally seem to work out for me you know but that's i'm always practicing that you know do you have any specific exercises you'd be willing to share um if i'm playing i mean i've never been a very academic musician didn't really go to school or anything never never really had bass lessons and every i think i had a really sloppy way of learning and probably could have saved myself a lot of you know problems if I would have had someone kind of guiding me a little better but everything I did was just from listening to you know CDs at the time growing up so mm -hmm. I was you know I would just try to like match my bass playing to whatever I was listening to and I've I've felt like I was putting in front I knew I had to lay back and it always just ended up being more of just like a feeling for me um and now I do exercises where I'm like, if I'm subdividing in my mind, like I'll, you know, literally aim for the second 16th note, you know, of the beat and just try to feel that in my body, you know, hmm. and just listening to a lot. Um, but there's probably when you guys are talking about it, I was like, oh, I was like so interested. I'm like, how do they do it? You know, well, what, it was interesting what you just said that you're aiming for the second 16th. That's reminds me a lot, Jason, of what you said you were working on where you are being deliberate and putting yeah. it farther back than oh, yeah. what you actually want because sure, yeah, in the yeah. end, it's going to come out as like a happy medium yeah. of the right place. And I think recording yourself as much as you do and listening back, yeah. you start to feel, speaking for myself, I'll, I'll start to associate when I felt this way on stage, right. I'm making a connection that it then sounds this way. Totally, yeah. And so then I'll think, like say my bass drum, for example, for years 
was more on top than I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, when I'm playing on stage and it sounds right, it's too far ahead when I hear it back. So now I know next time I'm on stage, lay it back farther than I think, oh, and yeah. then I hear it back and it sounds good, which I think is similar to what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, there's a um, famous uh, double bass virtuoso named Gary Carr, and he had a, an instructional kind of uh, tape when I was in high school or out of high school that I watched over and over again. And he was talking about saying, I don't know if it's totally accurate, but uh, the word is proprioceptivity and it's the ability of your bo- body to like, um, like tell, tell you the same information that your like brain does in a strange way, which can be a little like misleading or something. Um, so like, kind of like what you're saying mm-hmm. is like, I'll play something and think that it feels right. And then, like you said, you listen back and like, whoa, dude, that's totally on top, you know? And, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to my playing as much as possible. And it's usually pretty devastating, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, I just, that's cool. I've never heard that there's a term for that whatever yeah. that word is but you know what? i feel like i looked it up at one point and i was like that doesn't ex- sound exactly like he described <laughs> it but it was interesting that someone on his level one of the world's best solo double bass players is talking about this same thing you know yeah um that's but, a really a lifelong journey getting yourself to a point where you're hearing reality mm-hmm. instead of hearing your perception of reality right, yeah. and hearing it later yeah yeah Really have you noticed your ability to uh, keep an even emotional level on when you perform has gotten better through the years or, or now that you're doing like these really high profile gigs, it's gotten much more challenging to, to maintain that steady emotion? Oh, man. Um, I think it's it's honestly a pretty challenging thing for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tend to overthink and. Uh, like I said, I am so critical and I set my standards pretty high and, you know, you never know what's going to be thrown at you on a gig, you know? Um, I mean, on tour, things are a lot more controlled, but like, you know, I've been doing a bunch of festivals with Miley and, you know, equipment is changing at the last second or things are different. Um, with Molly for the first time in years, I'm using an amp and I'm using pedals and it's so fun. And I'm using my own, like whatever gear I want to use. So I'm using like cool bases, you know, <laughs> but it's the stuff that I haven't gotten to do in a long time. So not, you know, back to like not feeling totally comfortable, like in a certain situation can make me a little anxious and, you know, I'm kind of like, Oh man, I hope I get through this without blowing it. You know? Mm-hmm. So, but I guess I'm really trying to fish it. Like, how how do you handle the situation, right? They ask you, like, you're telling yourself, "Guy, okay, I hope I don't blow this." But like, you said before, like, that there's breathing that you do, anything like that, mm-hmm. uh, everything like that. But is there anything else that happens in that moment, or stuff that you learn from previous gigs that you then apply to the next time you feel that? Uh, I pray to Jesus a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, there's not a ton, man. Um, I just really try to focus on what happens before the show, you know, like if we're at a festival, everyone wants to go like see other bands. Like I know, like I need some chill time. I need to sit with my bass for 20 or 30 minutes and Mm -hmm. warm up. Mm -hmm. Um, 
maybe do some push-ups, you know, uh, just try to get prepared and, and not rush and, and not be in a different headspace before I go on stage. Um, mentally kind of rehearse what's going to happen on stage. Sure. Visualization. That's you come know? up a ton with, yeah. with all the guests. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of bass switches that are really fast, you know, and there's a lot of technical things, you know, like the, like Miley's music isn't very difficult to play or anything. Um, but it's just stuff like that. The technical things that, that also are a huge part of the show, switching keyboard sounds, you know, getting my bass off in time or on in time for the first note when I have a really fast switch, you know? Um, Do you rehearse that beforehand? Like the, like you actually take into account the the time that you have and like rehearsing the actual transition? Oh yeah, I have to be in rehearsals. I'm totally aware of that. Like I know this is a quick switch, you know, and I've got to be really prepared. Like is my bass on the stand properly is the yeah. strap in a good place where it's really easy for me to get around my head, you know, um, stuff like that is super important. It's shocking to me how many people don't rehearse that kind of stuff. But like, but what you just said is like, I would think the exact same way, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I would rehearse the same way. And, and everyone that we've interviewed, uh, in, in your kind of situation does the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I come across many people that, that don't think to do that. But it's all the details matter, yeah. you know? The, speaking on the details there for a second, was that something that was taught or you just kind of instinctively rehearsed that? Or like, like how did you get to that level of professionalism? Oh, well, I mean, just experience, you know, working with the MD that's like, all right, we're going into the next song this fast. How are you going to get to that first note? So you were coached, basically. I mean... No one really told me how to do it, but there were some times where it's like, you know, guys would be like, there's not enough time for me to do the switch. You've got it. You know, the MD has to come up with a segue or something, you know, to buy us some time, put a a few extra beats on, on an outro of a song or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's stuff like that, that has to happen Mm -hmm. or like, you know, I mean, in a lot of cases, it'll be a costume change for Katie, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a certain amount of time or she has a certain amount of time. And a lot of the rehearsal period is not so much working on the songs as much as working on these transitions. Yeah, the production. Video content has to, you know, it plays a huge part. Um, Costumes, you know, getting from one place to the next. And how do we work with that stuff? And I'm guessing, you know, the MD tells you, I need you to do this fast of a transition. Like, on the one hand, you have the freedom to say, oh, that's not possible. I can't do it. And then on the other hand, you're probably trying to minimize the amount of times that you're the guy saying you can't do it. Oh, right? absolutely. So, like, you're, yeah. whatever you have to do to figure it out to be able to say yes, right? Yeah. The name of the game is make sure the artist and the MD are happy yeah, first. Exactly. You know, it yep. has nothing to do with my preference or, you know, anything like that. So, Whatever I can do on my end, I, I will do. And there's been times where it's been like, I'm barely getting to that first note mm-hmm. or I smack myself in the head with the <laughs> bass, you know, because it's just too fast or my hair gets stuck or the strap gets wrapped around the, you know, stand yeah. and it yeah. flips the stand over. Oh, I mean, man. all sorts of stuff happens or I like, it's so quick and I bump a keyboard or, you know, I mean. Do you have like a tech on the side of the stage handing you the stuff or you're just doing it all yourself? Um, Sometimes. Most of the time I have stands on stage because, you know, like for, you know, in the case of Katie or or Miley for that matter, I mean, 
a lot of times they don't want people running up on stage during right. the show, you know? So right. if I can have a stand on stage, then that's usually the way we go. Um, I know it's been different for some of the guitar players, but usually, you know, I'm, I've got my basses up there with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I lost <laughs> my train of thought there for a second. So, so visualizing what, what you were doing on there, but, uh, but uh, that was cool. But I was thinking that the whole while about, um, uh, c- calming down during the stage, uh, mm-hmm. How it can I continue to see? I don't know if you do as well, Dave. Like the the correlation between high level athletes and high level musicians in these situations. I was just watching a, a pregame show for the NFL this past weekend, and the players were talking about how important it it is to not overhype yourself in the first quarter oh, because horrible. by the fourth quarter, you're, you're the gas is empty. Absolutely. Right? Um, so to hear you say that as well is yeah. is very interesting because I've heard other people, uh, other musicians we've interviewed, say the same thing. That uh, maintaining uh, even keel throughout the show and yeah. not you know knowing how to push and pull your energy and yeah. have it in reserve to get you through uh, is is pretty cool. Yeah, and I know in the past you know it was there was a a part of like playing a show that was pretty selfish in the sense that like I would get so amped on the band sounding good and that would affect my playing you know and I would kind of lose my focus a little bit. Um, and now it's more than ever it's like okay it's my job to do my part properly and not <laughs> like enjoying myself is kind of secondary so in a, in a time where i might get like super hyped or like hold my breath or something if i'm doing a lick you know i'm like okay if i hold my breath i'm going to tense up i'm going to lose oxygen i'm not mm-hmm. going to be able to play properly and if i get too hyped up i'm going to start rushing so it's just kind of like okay Breathe, chill out up there, don't overdo it, you know, and, and just focus on the pocket. And Yeah. And I think that breathing thing is huge. I think, was it Ryan Brown or somebody it was, Ryan, was yeah. talking about how um, if you are holding your breath while you're playing a certain thing, your uh, subconscious mind, it's your brain is telling you that you're like whatever you're doing is causing you to not breathe, yeah. which means you're going to die, which means you need to hurry up and get it over with, yeah. which means you're going to rush whatever you're playing. Oh, sure. And you, know you just mean? feel panicky when you're not breathing. Yeah. And I mean, I totally, you know, and kind of like, and I also kind of learned this from Ethan Farmer. Uh, it might have been the same interview when he was talking, he was talking about breathing um, and kind of relating it to like working out, you know, if, you know, you think you're at your limit, you know, you, you stop and take a breath and, and get some oxygen in your body, you'll realize you've, you've got a little more, bit more to give, too, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, a, yeah, I, th- I think that's been really helpful for me is just always focusing on breathing in a, in a relaxing way, you know? Mm-hmm. One thing I think would be interesting for people to hear is can you just give a brief backstory of how you started playing with Katie because I know that's been quite a while for you right oh yeah and then like how the Miley gig came up in the midst of that and how you're juggling those things and uh how much you're on the road like all that stuff yeah into that so the Katie story is pretty funny um I was working like after doing the Nickelodeon stuff and doing some pretty cool like high profile stuff I realized you know kind of my best opportunity would be playing in a band that I really dug and kind of starting from the ground up. And um, so I joined this band that had some past success, but we're trying a new thing. And so, I mean, we, we started 
playing, um, it was called Under the Influence of Giants, and the main guy and singer it now has a band called AWOL Nation that does pretty pretty well. Um, but we were just playing like the strip, you know, Viper mm. Room, all that stuff. And, uh, but, you know, we weren't making any money, so I got a day job, and I was literally just a janitor at my church. Mm. And, um, but every Sunday night, uh, the whole band would go to this bar in Beverly Hills called Guys. And it was um, right on Beverly next to the um, Jerry's Deli there. And uh, they had a house band. They would do like funk and soul covers, and they're really good. And and everyone knew about it. It was a pretty trendy place. Uh, a lot of great musician, musicians that were on tour knew about it and would come in and sit in. So it was a really cool time to just watch guys, like good players play. And, and they were also attractive girls and uh so one night uh uh the singer of the band liked this girl and wanted to talk to her so um our groups ended up mingling and i was just watching the band and my buddy actually introduced me to katie who was part of this group and at the time she was you know trying to trying to make it and, and and she had a record deal but she was just doing all the you know singer songwriter things that everyone does in Hollywood hotel cafe the mint room five at the time um and uh my buddy introduced me to her as Coldplay's bass player and so she got all hyped up on that I remember that yeah and uh me told me that. and so I I was like oh no you know this girl's gonna be so disappointed you know like not only am I not Coldplay's bass player but I'm pretty like conservative and go to church and I don't party or anything and uh so I was, I finally just broke down and, you know, I could tell she was really excited on me and I was like, look, I'm not Coldplay's bass player. I play bass for this local band right here and, and we're trying to get a record deal, but I'm really just a janitor. And I'm a, and I was like, and I'm a Christian. I just work at my church. And, uh, and she just showed me her, she's got a tattoo that says Jesus on her wrist. And I was like, oh, so we connected on like on our christian beliefs and uh became buzz and she was like she's like well i'm a singer i have a record deal you should be in my band and i was like well that's weird you've never heard me and i've never heard you um but uh we exchanged information she came and watched my band play somewhere at the, like the roxy or something and then i saw her play i think the mint was the first time i saw her play by herself just acoustic guitar and and since i played upright bass i just offered for fun to like play with her if she ever wanted and uh so while i was trying to get a record deal with my band i would play with her and this is back in 2004 2005 and so we i started doing all of her gigs with her and she was actually not doing very well at all like i think she was about to get dropped from a record label her car was repossessed she was like losing her apartment wow. and i was literally picking her up and and a 93 Volvo station wagon and taking her <laughs> to her gigs because yeah. she wow. didn't have a ride. And, um, and there'd be like 20 of her friends, you know, showing up. And I honestly didn't think anything was going to happen with her. She was just a buddy of mine. And I was like, I don't know how this works, you know, like, I mean, I knew she was talented and I loved her and, and she was such a cool girl. But um, it took years, you know, after after that, 2004, 2005, I quit the band that I was in. We had gotten a record deal and, and things just kind of got a little funky. So I bailed 
and um, was like, well, I need to find a gig, you know, as just like a side guy, you know, and um, and then uh, I got approached by that rock band Hoobastank, who was popular around that time, um, and they were putting out a new record and had a tour booked and asked if I would do it, and I had to do it, you know. So um, I went on tour with them, and uh, I was with them for like two and a half years, and then Katie started blowing up, and um, long story short, just like hit me up. I was like, I'm about to do this tour, you know. Uh, if you want to play bass, job's yours. I was like, all right. I was kind of over, you know, uh, Hoob at the time, and so I all all we had was three months of work with Katie. It, it was a Warp Tour 2008. And I was just like ready for something new. And I was like leaving some awesome perks, you know, playing with the other band. But I was like, you know what? Who like who cares? Let me just see what happens. Like Katie's great. And I wanted to like help her out. And um so I did work to her and then she ended up blowing up and that was two thousand eight. And then I basically played with her up until uh last October. Um and she, you know, she's recently gotten engaged and, and wants to have kids and chill out for a second. So she was like, I'm not probably going to tour for like three years or something. So, oh, wow. so she took everyone off payroll. And so there I was left without a job and, uh, actually tried to join the army and no way. And they didn't oh. want me. <laughs> and, uh, so I was kind of like freaking out i was like man am i gonna have to sell my house like what am i gonna do now nothing nothing was popping up for me i was hitting everyone up you know i did some one-offs with like adam lambert um and i you know i was reaching out to a bunch of artists like i knew lana del rey's md and she was doing one-offs but didn't even have a bass player and and lana was like apparently cool with that and just having the bass on track i'm like I'm screwed. The <laughs> bass is like the first to go on track, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so right in the nick of time, uh, an old buddy of mine, um, Jocko Caraco, who's been playing with Miley since the beginning, uh, hits me up out of the blue. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> and he's like, uh, uh, Miley needs a bass player. And I was like, well, I'm, I mean, Perfect. I'm, yeah. This is, yeah, I'm down. So... That was kind of the gist of that. I think yeah, it's a, a lot to take out of that awesome story, by the way. Um, <laughs> I want to know about the army, but I want to make, make a point <laughs> before that. Um, I think it's it's so cool for the listeners to, to again, hear a story of an artist or, or and a musician believing in somebody before they're famous. You know, like not not always trying to go for like the killer gig right away, but like try and find somebody that you think is cool. You know, mm -hmm. they're just a good personality that you match with, that you dig their music, you want to help them, like what you did with Aubrey, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and now the same story. You mm -hmm. know, you just you just never know. So it's like not saying no to to a gig just because an artist is, you know, at the beginning of their career. Like, see mm -hmm. where the opportunity can go and follow the vibe. And if the vibe's mm -hmm. right, then, you know, you never know what can happen. So I just want to make that point just so people can, can uh, remember that. Yeah, and I think, yeah, a lot of people... I mean, I got, you know, you know, a lot of people would say I, I was lucky and there's a lot of timing because, I mean, I know, you know, most of the bass players in, in the scene and there's some monsters out there that just haven't had the opportunities that I've had. It has nothing to do with their playing or my playing, you know, like I'm not some 
amazing bass player, but there's so much that has to do with just timing and your attitude and attitude. Yeah, I would, I'll play with anyone. I'll still play with anyone for whatever, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, I'll do, you know, play with Miley at Glastonbury in front of, you know, 200,000 people. And then I go to my little town in Ojai and play with an artist who can ba barely play guitar. You know, I, I really believe in, in giving and helping other people. Phenomenal. And, um, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that took chances with me, you know, I mean, yeah. I was touring around with Tony Royster when I was like 17, 18 years old. Like I would fly out to his house in Georgia and we'd pack up his drums in a trailer and his dad would drive us around in his van and I'd do clinics with them. And I was like, I can't keep up with this dude, you know, but you know, attitude is so huge, you yeah. know, and just for people that like, want to play with you you know like mm -hmm. i mean you guys have probably touched on this before but when you're on tour you're not playing a lot of music you know right you're playing three or four days a week for an hour or two and the rest of the 24 hours of the day you're on a plane and a bus and a sprinter van and a dressing room with people you know and if it's not a good hang it doesn't matter how cool the music is yeah. or yeah. what you're doing you how, how many yeah. times have we heard that at yeah. this point yeah. you know oh, like it's absolutely yeah, it's yeah. critical you know i mean and you hear horror stories of amazing players that shoot themselves in the foot you know f from not having the right attitude mm -hmm. or turning down gigs missing out on opportunities i mean i know some of my good buddies before katie really blew up i was like dude you guys should try to play with katie you know and i was on the road so i was like i couldn't do it my friends were like oh nah and didn't want to do it <laughs> and then she ended up being massive you know what i mm -hmm. mean and you know, you just can't, I've never been like that. I've never been like too cool to do a gig. I mean, if there's a budget, great. If there's no budget, great. You know, like, I mean, whatever I can do. And if I've got the time or can make the time, like I'll do it, whether it's sessions or gigs or whatever. I mean, I'll play with anyone, you know, no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if they have the right attitude. You know, that's a huge thing. Um, if it's someone like I just enjoy being around, like what more can I then I off can I offer than playing music with them? You know, because that's what I have to offer. You know, like there's not a lot of other things I can do. So mm -hmm. if I can bless someone by playing with them, uh, whether it is cool or helps my career out or not, you know, I mean, I I want to put them first. You know, I mean, definitely, I feel like God's really obviously bless me and I don't feel like I deserve it or play as hard or network as hard as most of these guys, you know, in the scene. I mean, most people don't even know who I am because I've never really been in the scene, like networking or I'm not good at, on social media. Really. I'm not super chatty. You know, I don't party. I don't go out. And I've, you know, it's just, it's always come to me just, you know, through some sort of connection. And, um, I always wish I was better and I feel like I need to be more intentional about that sort of thing. But, you know, it's worked out. I think that's a good segue to uh, a segment that, that we started on the show, which is what are you working on right now? So what, what are you working on personally, uh, musician wise to improve your game? Um, well, you know, I know one thing that I wish I was better at is sight reading. Uh, and I'm kind of torn about whether or not I really want to like invest into that. Um, you know, I've been on the road for like 13 years straight now, just nonstop, 
And, you know, that makes it really, and the way I've toured with like someone like Katy Perry, where it's like 300 days a year, you know, I mean, that's really like unrealistic for a relationship. And, you know, I bought a house almost four years ago and I don't really live in it, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm almost 38 now. So the touring lifestyle, I, I love it, but you know, I realize it's, it's an experience that I've had a ton of and it's been great, but there's also other life experiences that I'm interested in, you know? So right now, I mean, right now I'm, I'm working on, uh, just studio stuff, writing. I mean, I'd love to get into like the licensing stuff like everyone else is trying to do. Um, I don't know if that's an opportunity that's going to like open up for me, but I'm right now I'm just trying to, you know, give it a shot and, um, if that doesn't work out, I mean, I, I've been totally poking around, like looking into other types of careers that have nothing to do with music. Um, you, you thinking about the army again? No, they don't want me. <laughs> I was well, heart, well, why I was the army? I'm, I'm very interested about that. Well, I've always been fascinated with aviation and wanted to be a medevac helicopter pilot. And there's a shortage in the army. So I was, I figured, well, this is a perfect time. You know, Katie yeah. took me off payroll. So here's a, my chance to try and, and I tried and it didn't work out, but, um, yeah, I'm still interested in aviation and kind of like snoop around to see what types of, you know, careers there are. I mean, I'd be just as happy, like flying helicopters for the police department or, you know, fire department or something. Like, isn't that crazy? It's like the complete opposite. Like, so yeah. If I always told myself that if, if uh, music or teaching did, never worked out, I wanted to be the dude who guides the planes uh, when oh, come yeah. with the cones. There you go. For whatever reason, <laughs> I just I'm so like interested in that because I, I like aviation as well. Same. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I'm a total dork. My Instagram feed is mostly jets and helicopters. <laughs> this is really silly, but um, yeah, or or helping people. I I'm passionate about my faith and ministry and stuff like that. So. I don't really know. I mean, I don't really, I have a semester of college mm -hmm. and, uh, not a ton of normal work experience. So, you know, for me to transition into something else is pretty major and right. it's going to probably be costly and <laughs> pretty extreme, you know? So we'll see if I can get into like licensing stuff then that would be great. I'd love to be a little more stationary or just not depend on touring as much as I have in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be cool. I mean, I love touring. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love playing with great musicians more than anything in the world. And um doesn't matter if that's for five people or, you know, 200,000. You know, it doesn't matter to me. If the band is, is smacking, I like the people I'm playing with. Like, that's rehearsals for me is the best time, you know, mm -hmm. um, when you don't have to deal with all the pressures of a show or, you know, getting thrown onto a stage in a festival or whatever. Yeah. And just really getting to like take risks and let loose yeah. and relax and enjoy each other. Like that's what it's all about for me. That's the payoff, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, that's your whole vibe. It's just, I, I love it. It's just, let's see what happens. You yeah. Know? And then opportunity comes and you capitalize on opportunity. Yeah. So great. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's something, you know, I think uh, Miley's, uh, Miley's so great. A lot of people, I mean, I think a lot of people, think she's great but I didn't know much about her before I started playing with her 
and she has such a laid back vibe and you know she's she's a monster on stage and blew me away and her singing's incredible and all those obvious things but someone told me recently uh, i think it might have been a tour manager that told her a while back you know when things shows don't go exactly the way you want it's like relax and enjoy yourself you're not a doctor you know you're not performing brain surgery on these people you're entertaining them you know like don't beat yourself up you know or something to that effect you know like if it doesn't go the way you want and we've had the best times like i've this has been you know like the best job for me i mean she takes such great care of her band everyone in her crew loves her um it's just such a great vibe she's hilarious and fun and it's just been a pretty magical experience so far but i think that's important you, you know it's like no we're playing music and it's such a blessing for people mm-hmm. um that we have the opportunity to do it at all and somehow like pay some bills doing it you know but um at the end of the day it's not i don't think it's like my identity and i'm some artist or some super <laughs> important person you know somehow i ended up here and uh but i'm probably gonna be you know working at my buddy's pizza shop at some point or you know (laughs) i don't know the humbleness man that's why you're so successful it's amazing um dave before i get to the final question you got any questions you want to you want to come in no this has been awesome man oh absolutely talk to you (laughs) so uh we try to appeal to musicians at the beginning of their career you know like like in their late teens early 20s Uh, i'm sure there's other people listening as well but uh, this question uh, is specifically for them. What is a piece of advice or a couple of pieces of advice you would give to a musician starting out that you wish you had gotten? I definitely wish that I had honestly had a little bit more of some formal direction in a way. Because, like, for instance, when I started, going, like, I wanted to become a classical double bass player. That was really my dream. And it wasn't until I was a senior in high school that I had access to an instrument. My family didn't have a lot of money. Um, I hadn't been in a school that had a music program up until that point. Um, and so I was so excited when I got in, uh, into the program, joined the symphony orchestra, and, you know, just breathed the double bass. You know, I just loved it so much. Started going to college was in the applied music program doing all the things for classical music and realized, you know, I, I started so late. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know how to read barely, you know, and, and kind of just was, you know, pretty realistic with myself. I was like, I'm not going to compete with these kids that are coming from generations of classical musicians and start reading music when they're three years old, you know, like I don't have a chance, you know? So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I'll have that as like a background thing and do it on my own, but I'm going to just, I was getting opportunities to play in bands, what, what not, you know, so that worked out. But, um, around that time, like actually when I was doing the Nickelodeon thing, I was having major carpal tunnel issues, you know, mm-hmm. um, to the point where I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't even put on my clothes. Wow. I literally thought I was going to have to give up music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized all it was, was a lack of my bass being, it just wasn't set up properly. My technique was terrible and I was just hurting myself unnecessarily, you know, but I wasn't aware of stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wish, you know, I was learning how to play based to punk music and alternative bands and just, but really had no direction, you know? Um, and I think I had a, 
it took a long time to retrain myself how to play just so I could physically be able to do it without hurting myself, you know? I mean, I didn't touch, I had wrists or braces on my wrist for like months um, and I was in tons of pain. And that's an example for me of like, man, that could have been a simple fix if someone just looked at what I was doing and helped me out, you know? Mm -hmm. But I didn't really have the resources for that, you know, and didn't realize it was not so much like me is just like what I was doing, you know, it's just sure. like a stupid, just ignorance, you know, that I didn't realize. But then like, you know, as you get older, you know, I'm like, then I got hip to like Victor Rudin when I was like 17. I'm like, how's this guy playing so fast <laughs> and doing all these things and blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to do it on this bass with an action, you know, way too mm -hmm. high and <laughs> realizing like there's so much that goes into it. it electronics the string gauge the action the amp you know there's so many things that go into play that I, I think you know i wish i would have understood that stuff instead of beating myself up trying to make unrealistic things happen mm -hmm. you know that i was doing totally wrong so i think at least to get a start i think the guidance is great but now you've got like so much stuff on youtube i mean youtube's incredible you know and I learned so much from watching people on there. and um, But, yeah, even now, I mean, in the last several years, I've had bass lessons with some of my bass heroes, you know, and just sitting down with them for an hour and pick their brains and learning a ton, you know. So I think uh, saying you're self-taught is – I mean, that's cool and seems impressive, but whatever, you know. I definitely wish um, I would have – worked less hard doing the wrong thing <laughs> than spending some time with people that knew what they were doing mm -hmm. that could um save me a lot of pain and heartache you yeah. know um that's that's something but i think people if they love music get out there and play don't be afraid to screw up you know i mm -hmm. still screw up all the time mm -hmm. you know miley cyrus screws up Katy perry screws up you know we all do you know Tony Royster screws up, you know, it's like, don't pe I think people get wrapped up with their insecurities and everyone's got to know we're all human and fallible and we're going to blow it and we're going to go take the wrong path sometimes. And, but I think it's important to just stay humble and, um, and just charge it, you know, just do the best you can and, and take any opportunity to grow and learn, even if it's going to cost you. I mean, I don't know how many shows I spent money to play shows, you know, or spent gas money to go watch someone mm -hmm. play or, you know, barely scraping by as a janitor for $8 an hour, but still paying the, you know, whatever the door cost is to watch someone play or whatever it is, you know. I mean, that's one thing I did do is I was so hungry. I just, whatever I could do to grow, I did, you know, um, I wasn't screwing around when I was in high school. I wasn't partying. I wasn't going out all the time. You know, I was sitting there in my room shedding, you Same. know, the yeah. best I could do. I yeah. wasn't doing it right all the time, but I was sitting there with my little CD player, you know, pausing and stopping and rewinding and fast forwarding <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting those instructional videos when I could, you know, I wore that Jocko Pastorius video out. You know, mm -hmm. I don't play like that, but I, I'll tell you, I spent hours watching that thing over and over again, you know, mm -hmm. or the Gary Carr video or, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that I did all that stuff, you know, or, you know, 
And there's a lot of stuff that I did that was uncool and listened to that was uncool or whatever. But yeah, I wanted to dabble with it all, you know? It's all we music, can, man. It's all Yeah, learning, we can yeah. talk about fusion. We can talk about jazz. We can talk about soul. We can talk about classical, whatever it is. Punk bands, you know, some of my ba- favorite bass players can barely play the bass, you know? But I, I really was a music junkie, and, and I think that might have been a good thing for me that I wasn't just so stuck on being the fastest bass player or whatever it was. You know, I'm not a fast bass player, you know, or anything like that. So, and I don't know theory back and forth, you know, but for, you know, if you want to play gigs like and be working, most music isn't about that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not super fast. Popular music isn't super technical or like, you know, whatever. If you want to do a certain thing like jazz or classical, yeah. I mean, that's a whole different ball game. but depends on what you want to do. If you want to gig and stuff, I mean, yeah, focus on on figuring out what you got to do to to be good at that thing. And a lot of that is being at the right place at the right time and knowing people and having a good hang and making sure, like, you're – sometimes it's as silly as – having a cool guitar or wearing the right outfit too, you know? Definitely. I mean, it's it's silly. Like, I don't give a rip about clothes, but I know part of my job is to like, okay, you got to show up. You got to have a black outfit, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is, you know? Just silly things are part of your job as a musician, yeah. you know? Like, don't show up just being a wreck, you know? And just pro- being pro, be on time. Um don't show up at 103 when you're supposed to be there at 1230. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. <laughs> so we'll keep that between us. <laughs> the audience doesn't know the time. <laughs> well, for someone who claims to not be chatty, you definitely uh, had a lot to say in the past hour, and it's, oh, been, yeah. it's been super awesome. Cool. Uh, lots of great insight and amazing stories, but overall, uh, like, the vibe. Just killing, man. So, oh, right so, on. so good. Dang. And I, I know our, our audience is definitely better for this oh, uh, cool. this conversation. Dave, anything yeah. you want to wrap up with? Thanks for being here, man. Oh, yeah, thanks fine. for having me. Yeah. No, I, I was stoked. I love what you guys are doing. I'm, like, excited to hear the other podcasts. I was, like, so, like, inspired. So thank you awesome. guys. Yeah, our pleasure. So uh, if people want to follow you and look at the Jets, where can they uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where can they go? <laughs> um. My Instagram handle is Josh K. Moreau, M-O-R-E-A-U. It's really underwhelming. Um, there's very, not very many posts, and they're not very exciting. Um, <laughs> so Unless you're into airplanes, aviation, helicopters. Yeah, I don't expose that nerdiness on there just yet, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's where you can find parts of me from time cool. to time. Any YouTube uh, channels or anything like that? No. Not on tubes yet? No. Yeah, I haven't done a ton. I'm on Facebook too, Joshua.Moreau. But like I said, it's it's not too exciting. But yeah, I welcome anyone that's interested in seeing a post like once a month. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to be flooded with uh, followers now. Yeah, Josh, it's been, it's been a real pleasure, man. Uh, thanks again. We appreciate you. You guys listening, rewind back and uh, check out the gems that were just dropped in your hand and mind. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. 